Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. Because your word is yeah, your word is amen, your word is quick, your word is powerful, your word can go to the deepest part of our hearts, and we ask you to speak your word today. I pray you will give me grace to speak with simplicity and to speak with clarity. Let me speak your word exactly the way you will have spoken it if you were to be here. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Today we're going to continue our message uh, on God chases or God seekers wanted. And I'll give you a little bit of a a summary of what we talked about last week. And uh, we're going to continue from there. So we talked about, we described Seven different kinds of seekers, actually eight. The eighth one is is where everybody should be. And we said there are seekers who are bread seekers. There are people in church or who are Christians who are simply bread seekers. They got in there because they want something. There are fire insurance seekers. They are there just to avoid hell. They don't want to go to hell, then they serve God. And there are power seekers. Those are the darker kind of people who are there to have authority over others. They are the people who come to church just looking for power. They are gain seekers who are there for financial gain. And these are all from the scriptures. We found many of these you know, different kind of seekers described in the Bible. And we said there are seekers who are driven by life problems. You know, they are running away from enemy. You know, they are afraid for their life. And they, you know, they, they come to God for protection. And there are seekers who are driven by social, social pressure. All right? Their friends are going there, then they are there. Uh, because it's the in thing in their circle, then they go. And there are seekers who are driven simply by the, you know, they are driven by legacy. They are simply serving the God of their fathers. They were raised in church, and they just come. And we describe that each of these, they, they're, they're still something selfish. They are not the best motive. Sometimes there are ways to at least recognize God. Sometimes God put these needs in our life genuinely, really, or allows them so that at least we can see him. Because Jesus, you know, miracles, signs, and wonders, and all these things are actually a way for us to really be able to experience God. They are not the end. They are the means to an end. The end is for all of us to become God-seekers. And I wonder what kind of a seeker are you as you see down here? How will you describe yourself? 
Have you transitioned to becoming a God seeker? But if you don't, you're just going to remain nominal Christians. So what we have in the body of Christ are nominal Christians. Churchgoers, religious, but their faith doesn't go beyond just identification. The faith doesn't go beyond checking a, a box that I'm a Christian. They belong to denominations, they belong to churches, but they are Christians in name only. And I pray that would not be you in Jesus' name. They have no visible fruits in their lives. They can't point to anything about their life that has changed because they have come to Christ. They are minimalists when it comes to approach to God. All right? They want to give God as little room as possible. And that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for people who are seekers with pure hearts. God seekers are people whose motive is pure or the motive has been purified. Most of us, our motive wouldn't be pure. I was a fire insurance seeker when I came to Christ. It was simply out of fear that, you know what, there's hell, there's heaven, I want to go to heaven one day. So I was a minimalist until I had an encounter with God. Amen. People who are God seekers, what happened is somehow God walked in you. Your motive is so pure because of the process that God has put you through or encounters you have had with God in the course of your life that has purified your motive. All right? And you have become someone who seeks God's face, not just God's hand. Now you seek him for who he is, not for what he can do per se. The good thing about people who seek God for who he is is once you have God's presence, you have everything. Hallelujah. The song we want, the song we were singing this morning talks about in God's presence, demons tremble, right? All we need is God's presence. You see, when we become God seekers, every other thing gets resolved. Amen. But today I want to follow up and talk about something that is very critical. I call it repentance. I want to talk about repentance. Repentance is not one of the subjects that is talked about much in the body of Christ today, simply because I think it was bastardized by the earlier preachers of repentance. The church 100 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe up until 30, 40 years ago, misrepresented the word repentance so badly that when we swung the other way around, which we have swung too far, so we don't really talk about it anymore. So I'm going to talk about it because it is very foundational. I believe it determines whether people truly become God-seekers, whether they have experienced what is called repentance. I'm going to read a few scriptures, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I want all of us to read it together, uh, if we can. Can we go? Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the act that leads to death 
and of faith in God. He continued to mention other things, baptism and all those laying of hands. Now he's trying to say, you know what, I want to move beyond foundation. You know, I want to move to maturity. But moving beyond doesn't mean you abandon, right? You don't, you, you know, when, when, you, when you build foundation, you want to move beyond foundation because you want to build on top of foundation. He's saying, look, repentance is, a, is foundation. It's foundational to Christian life, you know, and it is very, very critical. So we're going to talk about the foundation of repentance upon which we must build our Christian life. Amen. Now, in Luke chapter 3, I will go back to, uh, we read Matthew, the same passage was read, that our daughter read uh, wonderfully. It's found in Luke chapter 3. So I want to go to the Luke chapter 3 version. Uh, Luke chapter 3 from verse 7. After John, John's message was the message of repentance. That was the message of John. Um, in, and people came to him in verse 7. John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized, You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Now, these were legacy seekers, all right? They were simply just serving the God of their fathers. And they were proud. They go around, they say, you know, we have Abraham as our father. You know, my father, you know, my mom is this, my father is this, my parents are this. He said, look, you got to move beyond that. Don't go, you know, you have to, this faith has to be personal, all right? You have to have an encounter for God by yourself. Don't continue to rely on the faith of Abraham. And don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. So that's very, very important. So message of repentance was the message that John brought. But it will be interesting to you that it was also the message of Jesus, it right, wasn't just John. Jesus preached repentance. And in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to show you Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. This time has come, he said. The kingdom of God, uh, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. So Jesus' message when he came is, the time has come. The kairos has come. The kingdom of God has come there. Repent and believe the good news. So that was the message of Jesus. It was also the message of the early church. All right? In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, I will read two verses there. Apostle Paul was writing to the churches that he had visited. And he said, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be, not to, I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there must be repentance. Must come to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said earlier on that I believe that the message of repentance is less preached now because it was bastardized at some point. And I'm going to explain that clearly by trying to describe what repentance is not. I believe the earlier preachers of repentance overemphasized repentance and bastardized it, almost made it to look like that was the only thing needed, almost made it to look like we have to get saved by works, all right? And there was a lot of emphasis on things that were really outward appearance of repentance to the point of neglecting what really brings eternal life. Hallelujah. Now, repentance is not what brings eternal life. It is faith in Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. Hallelujah. And I want you to be clear by that. Salvation is not by works, right? It is by grace through faith, all right? But repentance is needed for us to really become disciples. To really live a life that honors God, there has to be repentance. Uh, and that is, that is very, very important. So I'll lay that foundation. Now, let me go through what repentance is not. All right? Repentance is not just being remorseful or sorry. All right? Just for you to understand that. Repentance is not just about being remorseful or being sorry. Because there are many reasons people can be remorseful. And there are many reasons people can be sorry for their sin or for what they have done. Right? Sometimes people are remorseful. People are sorry because they got caught. Right? Sometimes you need to ask some people, are you sorry or you are sorry because you are caught? Been watching TV, you're seeing the, all these guys caught now doing something to women and they issue some apology. They won't even issue, they have their person issue some nice apology. Then people say, that is not enough. Then they issue a second apology. They via some PR company, right? To help them manage. But when you really go to them, are they truly sorry? Most times they are not. So it is not being remorseful. It is not being sorry. That's not really what repentance is. I want you to understand that. Not just. Now, repentance is also not simply weeping and wailing. All right? It's not. I think those are some of the problems the early church had when repentance was associated with weeping and wailing. In fact, some of the early preachers don't, did not believe that you can be saved unless you are weeping and wailing. You see, unless you really, you know, you are really just in front of the church. And some of the earlier churches, they have places where people go and pray and must cry for their sin. So they ask you, have you cried for your sin? And so after a while, you know what happened? People know how to fake cry for their sin. People learn how to cry so that it can be recorded that they have truly repented. So repented is not simply weeping and wailing. 
it could involve it, but that is not it. Repentance is also not willful self-affliction or self-punishment. It's called penance. There are people who have presented repentance as self-affliction, inflicting pain on yourself. You know, and there are, believe it, if you read the church history, there are people who have preached that, that that is what repentance is. Self-affliction. You know, penance. You punish yourself because you realize that you have sinned. So you must hurt yourself somehow. All right? You must punish yourself or God will actually do something to you uh, to punish you so that you know you have repented. That is not repentance. Repentance is not equal to public shaming. You see, there are churches that believe in publicly shaming people once they have sinned. You have to actually come before the church and confess your sin or so that you can be publicly shamed. Because until you go through that public shame, you have not really repented. Repentance is not even discipline. It's not church discipline. All right? Oftentimes when people do something in church, they are even disciplined. It is never equal to repentance. In fact, it is hardly, most times people who are disciplined don't even repent. In fact, the one who repent usually will have repented before the discipline. The one that did not repent before the discipline, most likely they will not. So oftentimes, even the issue of discipline is not for repentance. Sometimes it's just to show that we have a standard, right? You can't embezzle our money and we just say, oh, yeah, that's fine. Grace covers you, right? We'll take you out of the place, right? <laughs> just to show that we have a standard. That doesn't mean that, okay, if we remove that person, they have repented. They may or may not. Praise the name of Jesus. So it's important to understand that some of these things what we call repentance may not be. Now, what is repentance? I'm going to take you to the real word that was translated repentance. It's a Greek word called metaneo. Metaneo is actually a compound word that comes from two words, meta and neo. The first part called meta simply means to change. And the second word neo simply means your thoughts your mind, and its thought, its perception, and its disposition. So when the Bible says repent or metaneo, it simply says to change the way you think. So when Jesus came, he said, you must repent because the kingdom of God is here. You must change the way you think. So you see that it doesn't matter whether you cry, you didn't cry. Whether you were punished, you were never punished. Whether you were publicly shamed, whether you were not publicly shamed. Whether you were disciplined or you were never disciplined. The core of repentance means you change the way you think. Primarily about sin, about God, and about life. 
until there is a change in the way you think and your disposition, your perception, your feeling towards it, you cannot see any visible change in our life. And that is what is missing. Repentance means I experience a change in my mind's perception, disposition, and purposes. Repentance helps us to follow Jesus. All right? Repentance helps us to follow the path of discipleship. You see, repentance helps us to f- gain freedom from the damaging consequence of sin. Unfortunately, many people in church today haven't changed their mind about sin. They haven't. They haven't come to conclusion that sin is destructive. Sin destroys. The wages of sin is death. They haven't, they haven't really come to that conclusion. So, toying with sin is still very acceptable. In fact, excusing it is almost what we do on a constant basis. Excuse our sin. Try to say, you know what, uh, you know, you can do this. You cannot be perfect. You know, when people say that, they are usually not talking general. They are really trying to excuse themselves of the consequence of sin or the thought about the consequence of sin. So repentance means I have changed the way I see sin. Because until you change the way you see it, it you will not act accordingly, hallelujah, to avoid a life of sin. You are always going to accept it. You are always going to excuse it. You are always going to say it's not a big deal. Everybody does it. Everybody cheats on their wife or their husbands. Oh, you know, who can do that these days? I mean, who can? Everybody is not, you know, God is merciful. God is, you know, you are always going to find excuses. Do I have some? Can you, you want to listen to something? You need to stop giving excuses to sin. It starts from the mind. So we must change the way we think about sin. We must change the way we think about God. First John 5.3 says, this is the love of God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. You see, most people still go through life thinking God is punishing them. I'm talking about Christians now. Many Christians just walk with their heads hanging low, thinking they are in some form of prison, thinking, you know, I am just, I'm just hanging in there just to get to heaven, you know. I can't really enjoy my life. Uh, you know, I could have been in some club now. I could have been enjoying this, enjoying that, you know, if not because I'm a Christian. I mean, that's not, that is not somebody that has changed the way they think. All right? So repentance is really deep. And that is what the early church missed. They made it about wailing, weeping. You know, they made it like putting ash cloth on ourselves. 
they made it about all these things that really missed the point. And the current church is not even talking about it. All right, oh yeah, yeah, we'd rather talk about every other thing apart from the sin and sin and its consequence. So we must change the way we think. Now, the good thing about repentance is it is not always negative. You see, it is not always another problem. The early church, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about early church as in the Bible, maybe the 19th century church, 18th century church, even the 20th century church, up until, up until maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They believe that repentance must always be because of fear, right? Like people will repent if you preach about hell. You know, so it's about we're dangling fire and people just run and start crying, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to fire. Then they repent and they say, you must cry, you must weep, you must come to God. It is not always about it. In fact, the Bible is clear. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Did you get that? God's kindness. So God has been good to many of us because he wants you to change your mind. You see, he wants you to know that sin does not pay. All right? God, wants, God has shown you his goodness. And the reason why it's patience, the reason why God is good is not to indulge us. The reason why God is good is to show you that he, he, there is no alternative. There's nothing. Sin cannot match God. Worldliness can match God. You know, all these other things going around you, they have no plan for you. The devil has no plan for you. Sometimes people go through crisis in life. They say, you know what? I'm just going to abandon God. To go to where? To go to the devil. So do you think he has a plan for you? No, he doesn't. It is really because we have not repented. We have not changed the way we think about sin, about God, and about life. Praise the name of Jesus. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, repentance is also not just what happened at the beginning of our Christian faith. All right? It's not just what we do to get saved. In fact, it is what must happen continuously. You see, when the Bible talks about renewal of our mind, right, it is to constantly change the way we think. You see, the more you know him, the more you have a revelation of God, the more you repent. The more you change your thinking, the more some, of it, some things that used to be important to you will no longer be important to you. You know, before you think you have to fight everybody, fight, fight, then you really now realize that, you know what? God fights. 
Who can stop the Lord Almighty, right? God is a liar. He fights. We sing that song. We don't even believe in them. So why do we go around fighting people? And some of the things we fight for are things that God can fight for you. You see, God, so somebody gets a revelation of that. And he said, you know what? I'm not even going to fight. You know, my sister, sister-in-law, we're always fighting. I'm always, somebody doesn't respect me. I'm always fighting. I'm going to stop fighting. Hallelujah. Because my God is a liar. Right? That's how we should process. That's what renewal of mind is. That's what repentance is. So repentance is not just crying, wailing. No, 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 no. It is changing the way you think. Hallelujah. Very important. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he was speaking to the Laodicean church. He said, I hold this against you. You are forsaking the love you first had first. Consider how far you are falling. Repent and do the things you did at first. They were doing well. All right? They were doing well. They had it right. Their thought was right. Many of you, you started right. You were on fire for God. You were excited about worship. You started about serving God. Coming to church was important to you. Then all of a sudden, you are comfortable and you start downplaying. You know, some people, I see so many Christians, they downplay things they used to. Now you have your cushy job, cushy life. You know, you can do everything. Now you downplay those things. You don't, you need to repent. That's what happened to the Laodicean church. They were on fire. They were serious about God. They were serious about prayer. After a while, some people don't, oh, no, prayer is, uh, you know, that, that, that serious prayer, I've, I've moved beyond that. Some people even think they've moved beyond that. That leads to a life of compromise. So you must repent. Hallelujah. Now, so John, I mean, John told people they must come, they must produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we're going we're to just zero in on that. So I'll go back to Luke chapter 3, uh, which is where we've been reading. Luke chapter 3, we go to verse 10 now. So John preached to them and he told them they must repent and people started coming. And as a sign, he baptized them. So the Bible says, John's baptism was baptism of repentance. Now, the crowd asked him, after he told them, you must produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Hallelujah. So I believe in verse 10, the crowd, the crowd came to him and they said, what must we do then? What must we do then? Verse 8, Luke 3, 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Now, if you go to verse 10, they said, what should we do then? The crowd asked. All right, they wanted an example. They wanted, so how do we produce fruit? What will be an example? How will you know there is a fruit of repentance? Now, I want you to say clearly, Repentance is about our hearts. It is, you know, there must be a change in the way we think. All right? But a change in thinking produces a change in living. Hallelujah. 
So they said, what should we do then? Verse 11, he asked them. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. That will show that you have changed your heart. All right? This is the crowd asking. Then the tax collectors. You see, in those days, people were are, people are grouped based on their class. And classes sometimes mean what you do. Crowd are just people, ordinary people. Then there were tax collectors who are elites. They said, yeah, that's easy. What shall we do? What of us? And he said, don't collect any more than you are required to. Be faithful in your job. Don't oppress others. All right? Don't collect any more than you are required to. That will show you have really changed the way you think. Then the other group came. They are soldiers. You know, soldiers are, you know, they say, you know, so what of us? We don't collect money around. We are not tax collectors. What, what will be? And he said, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content, be content with your pay. So he started to give them examples. You know, examples of the fruits. And I want you to understand that he's talking about the fruits that proves that we have repented. You see, someone has really changed their, think, their thinking. Thinking about sin. Thinking about God. They are thinking about life. He must produce some evidence in their life. The evidence of repentance is a changed life. Praise the name of Jesus. It is a changed life. And interestingly, there are three things he really touched on here when he talked about change of lifestyle. Generosity. You have, you have two shirts. A person who has changed their mind will be generous who share. How much sharing do you do? All right? Do you, do you really wait until we have to preach about sharing, preach about giving, preach about what's going on in Uganda to really just see that you need to do something for somebody? Someone who has changed their way of life embraces a life of generosity. And that's what he said. Embraces a life of generosity. Is open to God. Is willing to share. Is not attached to the material things they have. You have two shirts, you give one to somebody. I mean, that's, that's a tall order. You have two, give one. He said, you have food, do the same. Don't watch someone go hungry around you. All right? That is a proof that you have changed. And he talked talk to the tax collectors, don't cheat at your job. You know, many of us, do we have testimony at our place of work? We have testimony. Can they trust you? These days, trustworthiness is not in the body of Christ. It is no longer acceptable for somebody to say, trust me, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I hear you. The last Christian I trusted is <laughs> no longer. And it used to be like that. It used to be years ago, it used to be that when somebody says they are born again Christian, oh, you, are, you relax around them. Now, oh, people say they are born again Christian. 
you say praise God. <laughs> because there's no repentance. There's no repentance. If one little things are work, how many of us will cheat? How many of us will get to work late and forge if you sign in? How many of us will do those kind of things? Don't forget you are doing that with unbelievers. All right? Don't forget that. You are doing that with people who are not Christians. What is the evidence that you actually, you have changed the way you think about sin? That means you think those things are okay. They are accepted. Do you join them to gossip? You know, at the coffee room. To just roast other people, talk about. You know, do you join them to do that? You're just, oh, yeah. You know, so he used their job, the way they perform their job, as an evidence that you have really changed the way you think. Now, furthermore, uh, if you actually go further, he, he, he used um, Herod as also, he attacked Herod, he rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his adulterous lifestyle. All right? So that's another factor that he mentioned there. Sexual purity is also a sign that there's a repentance. So three things, generosity, how trustworthy we are, and sexual purity. Those are signs, those are change, at least three things you mentioned. And I believe these three things affect many areas. In fact, if those three things are taken care of, you will see that a lot of things. We have Christians these days who still argue about cohabiting. And they call themselves born again. I mean, that's the sad part. I mean, anything is okay for someone who does not claim to believe in Christ, right? I mean, sometimes I think we mix arguments. When we mix arguments, when we talk about uh, sin, this, that, people who have not accepted the Bible as the authority over their life, you know they are not bound by it. So you don't scream. I mean, if somebody from Hollywood decides to jump from one husband to the other, who cares? They don't. They, they are not professing Christ. They are not. So sometimes as Christians, we are harder on outsiders than we are harder on ourselves. I don't have a problem with people who, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the Bible. They say, oh, we are homosexual. They can be whatever they want. That's because we were all something before we came to Christ. Right? It's irrelevant. But when you see people who claim to have met Christ and just excuse all these things, that's when there's problem. Hallelujah. That's when we should be concerned. So change of lifestyle must follow repentance. Hallelujah. The second thing that must follow repentance is making amendments. Making amendments. Especially in when our sin has been against someone individually. Alright? If your sin has been against one person, a person individually, the sign of repentance, the fruit of repentance will be to make amends. John, I mean, Matthew chapter 5 tells us, if you are giving an offering, you're offering your gift at the altar, 
And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. I mean, get the context here. In those days, it's, you bring fruit, you bring two bars of yam, you bring all those things. So you have to take it in. So he said, just put it on one corner in the temple. Just go back home. Don't offer it yet because it will not be acceptable. Go and reconcile. All right? Go and make amends. So this is talking about when, you know, our action has been or your sin has been against someone individually. You cannot hurt someone. See, if what you have done has hurt someone, you say something bad, you are rude to somebody, you insulted someone, you lied against them, you did something, and you are convicted by God. All right? So it means the guy is coming to church, you know, he's doing praise and worship, and the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's an example of what he's talking about. You are going to the altar, and the Holy Spirit convicts you. You know, what you did to that person is wrong. You know you lied about so and so. You know you gossip about them. You know you said something wrong about them. You know you were rude to them. He said, go back to that person. That will be a sign that you have had change of heart. You see, repentance sometimes is not something you can just do in your corner. Because your sin against God sometimes has sinned against other people. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, so in those instances, amendments are necessary, usually when it comes to relationship. I have a feeling many people here need to make amendments. Many people here. You can't just assume you can continue to worship God, you can continue to do your thing, and anything you have said about anybody doesn't count. It counts. Jesus says it counts. He said, go and reconcile. There are many people here who have people to reconcile to. Former roommate, former ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. You need to humble yourself and call and say, I'm sorry I did that to you. That's a sign you have changed. You're covering it all by with praise and worship. It's never covered up. <laughs> you remember, you shake your head, you speak in tongues a little bit. Just to... <laughs> Do you know those remembrances is Holy Spirit bringing them to your... The Holy Spirit pierce you. It brings that flash when you were talking about that person and it was a lie. You roasted them, you talked to them, you know. You know what you should do? Go back and apologize. You're going to see some freedom that you're going to experience. Praise the name of Jesus. The third thing I'm going to mention is restitution whenever possible. Restitution whenever possible. You see, restitution is... An attempt to make up. All right? An attempt to make up. This was pronounced more in the Old Testament. It's really under the law. But the principle still remains the same today. Now, Exodus chapter 22, for example, verse 1. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five heads of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Verse 14, if anyone borrows an animal from the neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. 
Now, in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus, after he met Jesus, the Bible said, he stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I give out of my possessions to the poor because he robbed the poor people. He says, Zacchaeus became rich because he robbed poor people. Ordinary people, he was a tax collector. So he became so rich because he could, he could oppress poor people, he could rob them. And he said, you know what, I'm going to restitute. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times amount. You see, he's using the same principle in Exodus, four times. There are many of us who need to pay back. If you have robbed somebody, I mean, there are believers who borrow money from somebody else and never pay back. And they claim they've repented. Oh, you haven't. Oh, uh, you know, it's just a sin against God, and I've gone before God, I've told God, God has forgiven me, and I'm fine. No. God has forgiven you, but if you have truly repented, you need to restitute. So, generally, it deals with when we have robbed other people. Now, this was bastardized, you know, by churches years ago. They talk about restitution on crazy things. You have to find out all the women you have slept with and track them and be talking to them. That's, that's, that's useless. That's crazy. But if you stole someone's book and you have it on your shelf at home, if you have truly repented, each time you see that book, the only thing stopping you from returning them is pride, right? You don't want to show, is that pride? I mean, if I have someone's material, or somebody loan you money and you are running away from them. And there are a lot of believers like that. <laughs> then they were in need, they borrow the money and they just start, they start running around. They, start, they leave that church and go to another church. <laughs> Born again believers. You, I mean, repentance means you restitute. So many of you need to restitute. If you, you know, you need to make up, you need to make amends, you need to restore, you need to change your lifestyle. And that's why John is saying there must be fruit. I want, you to, I want to wrap up by reminding you, repentance is in the heart. It is a change of heart, right? Changing the way we think, changing our thinking about sin, about God, and about life, all right? Now, the fruit comes because a change is in our heart. There must be a change of lifestyle. There must be amendments where people are being hurt personally by our actions. And there must be restitution where people are being robbed by your sin. All right? And I pray that as we obey this, who experience a changed life in Jesus' name. You cannot truly be a God seeker without repentance. No, no, you can't. Because God is too pure than to behold sin. God dwells in light. It's a pure light. If you are going to seek him, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord, right? Who can dwell in his holy temple? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. 
who has not lifted his soul unto idol. Those are the generation of those that will seek his face. Those are people that will seek God. If you really want to encounter God, you have to seek him. Repentance must be the foundation upon which your Christian life rests. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Hallelujah. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us. A timely word. A word in season. I pray for anyone here who needs to act on this word. I pray they will not live in self-deceit. I pray that the enemy will not deceive them, convince them, turn their mind around, toy with their mind to do otherwise. I pray for spirit of obedience will rest upon this congregation. I pray that people who need a change of life will begin to make a change of life. I pray that people who need to make amends in relationship we have the courage and the humility to make those amends. I pray that people will need to restitute. We have the courage to go back and restitute so that we can enjoy the true freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name we have prayed.